Hi, you're listening to Sundays at Sherman Bible. We're really glad you chose to join us today. The following message is from our pastor, Dennis Henderson. Well, we're going to start this morning with a question, okay? And uh, let me kind of get that question ready for you. Suppose God came to you and said, I tell you what, I'm God. I have all the supply in the world, so I will write you out a check every month, every year, for whatever you need, so you won't worry, because I don't want you to worry. So with that in mind, look at the question that's coming up on the screen. I put it in the first person so that you might uh, be able to answer it, and that is this, how much do I need? How much do I need so I will never worry about money again for the rest of my life? Okay? Think about that. How much do you need so you'll never worry about money again for the rest of your life? You ready? I want that answer in just a moment. It'll be, be written on your paper. While you're thinking about it, let me remind you what the whole series on margins is really about. It's not just a self-improvement course for you. What I'm wanting to do, asking God to help us to understand that the only reason we're talking about margin is so that we would be able to create in our lives a margin of time for God because God is found in the margin, not in the, we're not in the busyness of a freeway, okay? So we have more time with him. And with the time with him, we'd get our priorities and our thinking rights. We'd have more time with our proper relationships, our family and friends and people who need to know Christ, and then third, last week, that we'd have proper morals, that we'd realize there is a moral margin in life, that God wants us to be holy people. So that's where we've been. Now, today, we're going to create another margin, actually today and next week, that I hope will help you because some of you, many of you, and probably all of us at one time or another, have had the pressure and the stress of this area, and that's finances. Finances kill marriages, don't they? You say, do they? Well, they do as a secondary thing. There's other things, but it becomes a major issue. Finances. Two things. They say the two leading problems of divorce are money and nobody wants to say it, do you? Sex, okay? Say, there he goes again, back on that. But money and sex are the two leading causes in marriage, or at least on the surface. There's something way below that, but those are the two things. Because you see, when tension and stress and worry about money come into a marriage, arguments start, bickering starts, communication breaks down, communication breaks down, romance breaks down, and the result, somebody else comes up to take that place many times. So it's a big topic. All right, back to our question. Why are we doing margins? To create these margins, to love God, Create these margins for time relationship, and today we talk about money, but why? Because of Matthew 22, 37 through 40, and that is this. Jesus said when asked what's the greatest commandment of all, he said the greatest commandment of all is love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We call that the great command. The command of Jesus was to love him first, love people second. That's the highest priority. And if you're not having margins in your life, that probably won't happen. They'll get crowded out. Those are easy to move away. And then 
we grew those margins to have love God and love people. So why? So we carry out the Great Commission. The Great Commission is Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And that is this. Jesus said, all power and authority is given to me, and I give it to you. So go and make disciples of all nations. You baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I'm going to be with you to the end of the earth. The Great Commandment, the Great Commission is the only reason I would teach margins. So that our lives are lined up as God wants them to be. So that we are focused on what he wants us to be focused on, not what the world wants us to be focused on. Okay? All right, what was your answer? How much do you need? Uh, I, I'm afraid to say in front of everybody. Okay, well, just write it down then. But maybe it might be, you know, if I could just have $300,000 a year for the rest of my life, I think I'll, I'll not worry. Some of you might, wrote that, might have written that down. Uh, some of you are living on that right now. He said, if I could just maintain that. Some of you say, well, if I just had, a, I mean, I'm not really, I don't need that money, 100,000. And some of you say, if I just had 90,000, I don't know what it might be. The figure's really not important, as you're going to find out in a moment. But some of you believe, if I just had this amount of money, I'll never worry again. If God would promise that to me. Really? Let me tell you an ideal and a truth. Here it is. God doesn't want you to worry about money. Jesus doesn't. You say, really? Man, is this this new prosperity thing that I see on TV we can bring in here? You're, you know, your good life now? No. That's what I'm saying. The ideal is that Jesus does not want his followers to be worried about money. Do you believe that? I really do. That's not a prosperity thing. It's putting our focus on the right things. He has an ideal. The ideal is that if we followed the teachings of Jesus and we implement his plan, if we did that, we would be free of financial stress. You say, Dennis, do you, where are you pulling this out of? I knew you'd ask. So I got you a passage. You ready? Matthew chapter 6. Turn there in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 6. And in Matthew chapter 6 is a very familiar passage. We've been working on this off and on now for some weeks because, as James says, it's sometimes good just to stare longly and a long time at the Word of God rather than look at it very quickly as in a mirror. So what's Jesus say? Here's the proof that I believe that Jesus doesn't want you to worry about money. All right? Everybody find it? If you don't have a Bible, reach in front of you. This is church, folks. You've got to look in the Bible. All right? That's the only, the only thing we ask you to do here is look in the Bible. Pretty good deal. All right? Verse 25. Therefore, Jesus says, this is the red letter, so he's talking. He says, I tell you, do not worry, period. All right, that's it. You say, how do you know Jesus won't worry? Because he just said so. It was a command. Do not worry. He says, do not worry about your life. And I'll notice the particulars of it. He says, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. He's using these two examples, but basically what he's saying, he says, hey, don't be worrying about what you're wearing, where you live, what you drive, and what you're, you know, the newest clothes. And yet, when you stop thinking about what is everybody worrying about today out there? I wonder what I'm going to drive next week. What kind of car? What kind of, just, I don't want you to worry about that. Because why? This is the reason. Go on. He says, he says, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Isn't life more than that? 
You see, if your life is so focused on those things, the things that don't last, none of those things are going to last. Your body, your food, your clothes, your cars, your houses, all the things. If you focus on that all the time, you're going to miss what's really important. And so why would I say that Jesus doesn't want us to worry about money? Because, see, money will keep you focused on those things. And he wants us to say, no, get your money together. And let's focus on what's really important. Those are relationships and me and life and things that will last for eternity. And so what he does next, if you keep looking there, he uses two things, birds. And he uses the beautiful flowers of the field. He says, are they doing okay? He says, how many birds have you seen in a counseling office lately? Any? He said, how many, and he said, how many flowers are going around, you know, rubbing their petals, worrying about, I wonder if I'm going to have water today. He says, no. He says, I take care of those things. He said, you know, I'm doing a pretty good job, aren't I? And he went, yeah. Don't you think I can take care of you if you get things lined up? And you implement my directions in your life? He says, go on. What does he say? He gets down. It's back, basically the issue I've closed with every week. The issue of trust, because notice what he says down in the last of, pay, uh, of verse, 30, uh, verse 30. He says, oh, you of little faith. Notice in verse 31. So do not worry. There you go. Don't worry about what you shall eat or what you shall drink or what you shall wear. He says, that's what the pagans run after. Those who, who are here, temporal, who this is it. I mean, this is all they're getting. We're living for over there because this is not our home. He said, the pagans focus right here because that's all they're going to get. He said, that's what they worry about. He said, but you guys, no. We're beyond that. He said, that's what the pagans worry about. So what's he going to tell us next? He said, do you not know that your heavenly father knows what you have need of? So trust him. Trust that I'll follow him in my time, relationships, my morals, and my money. I will obey what he says. And then he goes on. He says, here's the bottom line principle. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you. Line him up first. Put your focus there. All right? With all that said, let's go back to something. Let me ask you the next question. What did you have down there? You got the figure? Everybody know what you're going to live on now? You're not going to worry anymore, right? Because you wrote it down. Right? Never worry again because you wrote down what you're going to need. Everybody with me? How many of you are believing what I just said? That you'll never worry again. Anybody? I mean, you wrote down, didn't you? Because this is what I know. That all of us live on a percentage of what comes in. Everybody does. All right? We all live on a percentage of what we make. So let me kind of illustrate it. Some folks, they get their paycheck, and before they leave, they know that 5% of that's taken out and put in their 401K retirement there at work. And so they put that over there. So now they have 95% left. And they come home with that, and that's what they're going to live on. Others... You take out the 5% for retirement, and some of you, in your mind, you make a commitment, I'm going to give to God, and so you put whatever percentage that is. And so you put those two together, you subtract that from there, and now it's what you have to live on. Okay? And I don't know how you set it up, but everybody lives on a percentage of what they make. Here's the question. Do you know what that percentage is? 
This is what I propose. And you're going to find me, some of you go look at me like I'm, I'm smoking dope up here, but here's the truth. I'm not right now. Here we go. You ready? Most of you don't know what that percentage is. Most of Americans do not know what the percentage is of what they're spending and they're making. Oh, yeah, Dennis, I got my house paid. I get my car payment paid every week and every month, and I get the utilities paid, and I'm making the minimal payments on my credit card. Pardon? And I'm making all my minimum payments. Really? You do not know what you're living on then. Well, yeah, everything's paid. Really? You see, if that's how you're living on minimum payments, then you're living over what you're making. And so your percentage is not 100% or 80% or 90% what you're spending. You're spending at the average American about 115% of what you make. You got it? So answer the question. Do you know what, you, what you're living on percentage-wise? Most folks don't. Now that you're feeling a little guilty, let me add some more. I love this part. Since money is something we can count, you know, it's not an intangible thing, you know. I mean, it's not an arbitrary, I mean, it's right there. I can actually count my paycheck. There's no reason at all that you don't know the percentage of where every, or that you're living on where every penny goes. There's no reason. I mean, stop and think about it. You call your bank up. You say, hey, tell me what's in my account. And they say, we're not sure. We, we, can't, we can't quite follow it. And you'd say, what? And yet that's the way people are. And I say, well, how much percent? Well, I don't know. It comes in, it goes out. You know, money comes, money goes. It's kind of magical. In fact, mysterious at our house. Nobody knows exactly what we're living on. All we know is we've made the payments, and you haven't stopped to figure out what are you living on, really. And so you call your bank, you ask them that question. If they come back with that answer, you're going to get a new bank, aren't you? If you call your financial planner and say, hey, how's my, how's, how's my IRA and all that stuff? And he says, I don't know. I know you're putting money in every month, and I don't know it comes and it goes. But you say, you don't know? No. You see, it is something that you can track, your income and your spending. So are you ready? Little lessons today for you. A little lesson of just kind of working, and that is this. Because we don't know what we make and spend, we can't figure it out because it's kind of mystical, a little magical for us. People live under stress because they're always wondering, I wonder, I wonder if I got enough. And some months you do and some months you don't. But you're always wondering, and that's why the stress comes in. That's why the worry comes in. So here's the deal. Here's the myth. You ready? The myth is that the more income... The amount of income is the problem in our lives. Remember that figure I asked you to write back down there? You say, you say, I'm not making this now, but if God will let me write this check out, if he'll give me this check every year for the rest of my life, I, I won't have any more problems. And I'm saying, you are stupider than you look. Did I say that? Yeah, I did, didn't I? You're stupider than you look. If you think more income is going to solve your problems of worry. You see, the amount of income is the problem in our life. Say, so if I made more, we wouldn't have so many problems. Do you really believe that? After 45 years of being married, 
my wife spending money like crazy? As you know, she doesn't. Uh, I know that's not true. The income is not your problem. So here's lesson 101 in finance. And I'm going to put it down where all of our junior hires over here can understand it. All right, junior hires, where are you at? Right here? Okay. All you'll be able to understand, you can go home and explain it to your parents. Okay. Because a lot of them haven't got it yet. Because USA Today tells us that college students, when they graduated, they are stacked high in debt. And they're thinking probably dad will take care of it. No, probably dad won't. And probably dad shouldn't. Okay? You need to learn a little responsibility. And so they take that college debt, and then what do they do? They go out and they get a little job, and off they go. And the next thing you know, two years after college, they're in so much debt, they have no idea how they're ever going to end. They're hoping for some type of bailout. That only works in the government, okay? See, they're the ones that don't have real money. But you and I have to have real money. So you say, so help me with this lesson, all right? Here's our lesson. Are you ready? In finances. This is how it looks. Over here is money. Over here on this bottom line is time. Your life. So in money, this is the way most of us think, and generally true, that as my life goes on, that I start here making money, as it goes on, I'm going to probably make more as the years go on. Our job grows, our income grows. And that's normally true. Okay? I mean, that, that's pretty much true. But here's the problem that Americans have, because they haven't had 101 in finance, and that's this, that as the income goes up, guess what? Parallel with that is their spending. Income? Spending. As that goes up, they spend accordingly. You understand that principle? That's kind of what happens, isn't it? Now, here's the deal. Americans, we're smart. We think, all right, this is going to keep going up. You know, we're going to keep getting raises, bonuses, job, tenure, and so what we're thinking is, with this here, as this keeps going, and over amount of time, I'm planning for it to go, guess what? I can go ahead, not just spend parallel, but I can go ahead and stretch out and get some things now that I need. You know, I can go ahead and get the leather in the car. I can go ahead and, and get the home entertainment with surround sound which is really surround debt. I can continue to go on because someday in this time, you know, it'll all come together at the end and it'll be all okay. Right? And that's how Americans live. So now we've got a margin. <laughs> Guess what? It's on the wrong side. You can see the margin is up here that our spending is higher than our income, and most America lives there. And so now we end up with what? What Jesus said not to have. What's that? Worry. Stress. But, you know, it's all going to come together someday out here, is it? How's it doing? Well, I, you know, hmm. 
Might not all come together, huh? In tough times that we're living in, for some of you, it's looking worse all the time. So what happens now? Here we go. Same chart. Money, time, but income is going here, and guess what? Our debt's going here. We got it, we've got this margin, but now what's happened? We have hard times. Some of you lose a job. Some of you get a salary cut. So now you're going along, and now it's here, income. So what do you do? Well, the income's down. There's no job, and I haven't put anything over there. What do I got to do? I got to go into my retirement. I got to go into my equity. And if things don't change after a while, guess what? You're out of retirement. You're out of equity. Next thing, you're selling the fancy car. Next thing you know, you're having garage sales. And if it doesn't change, next thing you know, you're bankrupt. Okay? So what's happened? You didn't prepare a margin for the inevitable that's going to happen with all of us sooner or later. There's going to be some loss. There could be some down times in most of our lives. And we don't have a margin there. So here we go. Let's get a little definition. Okay? Money margin. It's the amount of money you have left to spend after your living expenses and commitments have been made. Your living expenses, house, utilities, whatever it might be, groceries. Commitments, that's your 401. Your commitments are your giving. Those are commitments you make. So you put those together, and whatever that total is, if you have a financial margin, there's going to be left over. If you're living stretched, there's not going to be anything there so that when the time comes, when the time comes, you're in deep trouble. So what do we do? We develop a margin. Okay? And that time as it goes on, we live here and we go back and say, you know what? No, we're going to go back, look on that budget real quick, and we're going to look where our spending is always below our, our limit of what's income. And that could be 10% below, 15%, 20%, whatever you decide. And you're going to do what? You're actually going to what? Save that money so that now you have a margin. So that what? If going down this line, the boss says, hey, we've got to take 10% cuts. These are hard times. And that 10% comes. And now your income drops 10%. You still have margin. And you still have money over here saved. If you go to Financial Peace University, most some of you have been through it. Dave Ram says you need to eventually get to where you have six months over there in savings for when this happens. All right? And when you have that, you've now followed God's principles, and as a result of following his principles, you're starting to understand a margin. And now what happens? You're not worried, and you're not having the stress, and there's not all the arguments going on. Now, here's another myth. You ready? Worry and margin are related to income. I first said the margin, you know, that, that it's an income problem. That's why we, we worry. No. And now I say, some of you think that, that I would not have any worry and I could create a margin if I had the income. 
And, I, and, and if I made more money, I wouldn't worry as much. Do you think so? Let me show you something. Let's say you started your job and, uh, some years ago, and you made 25 k 25000 a year. And maybe some of you are there now, which is okay. I'm not, the mountain really doesn't make, but that's where you started. And he said, I'm really worried. If you're living without a margin, you should be worried. But here's the deal. If you lose that job, how many jobs are out there for 25000 Quite a few? Yeah, there's a lot of jobs out there for 25000 So it's not that big a worry. Because, well, if I lose this one, there's another one out there for twenty five. So, you know, I worry and I feel all this worry. And I bet the guy who's making a lot more doesn't worry like I do. Really? Let's think about it. Here's a guy who's making 350K. And he's going along. He doesn't have a margin either. He loses his job. How many jobs out there for 350,000 available? Huh? Not too many, are there? Who do you think really has the most worry? Him or him? If they're not having a margin in either one of their lives. The assumption is they don't. Because you see, a lot of people, when they make this much, guess what? Their lifestyle represents that. The house they live in represents that. The cars they drive, the cabins they buy, the boats they buy, the country club membership, the private schools, the platinum credit cards, and on and go. It represents that. So if they don't have a margin, no matter how much you make, 25 or 30 or 350,000, there's still worry. And I suggest to you that you who make 25, your worry doesn't look quite as bad today, does it? When you look at the guy with 350, because he's not going to get another job real quick, but you can. So that is a myth to think that our margins and our worry are going to be based upon our income. No, it has nothing to do with it. Okay? Now, the more money, the less worry, that's a myth. Here's what I want to propose to you today, and that is this. Your worry level and your margins will not change unless you change. It has nothing to do with your income. Nothing at all. The problem is not your income. The problem is you. How you think. What your values are. Whether you're going to believe God's word and trust God. All right? So, to get you changing today and next Sunday, we're going to talk about two things. Commitment you have to make and the contentment you have to find. The commitment comes first, not the contentment. All right, so let's look at it. Two things you've got to commit to. Two people. You ready? Two people you've got to commit to. You've got to make a decision. I'm going to commit to these two. But number one's yourself. You've got to commit to yourself. Take your Bible. Turn over to Proverbs. It's there in your notes. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20. And this is what it says. It's page 464. Proverbs is such a wise verse. This is a wise book. Here it is. Number one, in making this commitment to yourself, you've got to realize, I've got to start saving. Period. Right now. You say, well, how can I? I don't even have a margin now. How can I? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Because, you see, we have a whole bunch of people who have learned by their mistakes that's what you're trying to learn, and they'll sit down and they'll help you. Just write on your card. I need some financial advice. We've got a bunch of people who've gone through financial peace, who've learned how to, how to in the midst of having no margin, to create a margin. And next week, we're going to talk about how you have to change some things to get to contentment once your lifestyle. All right? Here we go. Verse 20, he says this. In the house of the what? In the house of, everybody say it, the what? Wise. Wise. Not in the house of the rich. 
Not in a house of six-figure income. Not in a house of the PhD or the MD. But in a house of the wise. That wise could be at 25K or it could be at 350K. It doesn't make, the, the amount doesn't make any difference. It's whether you're wise. That's the difference. There's a lot of people who make 350 and they're dumb when it comes to these principles. Okay? So, in the house of the wise, guess what they do? No matter what the level, he doesn't qualify. He says, just a wise person, this is what will be there. He says, there'll be stored up there choice storage of food and oil. There's going to have a lot sitting over there. They're going to have a margin. Notice this. He says, but the foolish man devours all he has. Whether it's 350,000 he devours every year or 25,000. The foolish man devours it all. And so today, if you're living without a margin in your life when it comes to finances, I want to tell you what God says because I don't want to hurt your feelings. I'd rather have God call you hurt your feelings. God said, you're a fool. Can I put it in English? You're stupid. God said that, okay? So don't get mad at me, all right? Here the deal is, you're foolish if you're devouring everything every month. At the end of the month, you know, you made your minimum payments. You're foolish. But the wise person, no matter what the income will be, will have plenty in storage because they've created a margin in their life. So what do I got to do? I have two commitments, one to myself. You say, what is that? Savings. I will start saving, whatever it is, 5%, 10%, every time I get paid to be there. If you don't, you're going to rob yourself. You're stealing from two people, one, you. You say, what am I stealing? Here they go, very quickly. You're stealing, first of all, emotionally from yourself. You are robbing yourself of the emotional health that God wants you to have. He wants you to have peace. He doesn't want you to have worry. Okay? He wants you to have peace in your life. My peace I leave with you. And I, I leave it with you because you'll follow my principle. You'll seek me first. And so you're robbing yourself emotionally. You're replacing peace with fear. I wonder what, what if the car breaks down tomorrow? What if the heater breaks down next week? I wonder if, what the next, if we're going to make the next payment. That's what you've placed. So you've robbed yourself of the emotion of peace that God wants you to have. You say, what else? You rob yourself relationally. Huh. Man, this is where, I mean, this is where combat zone comes in most marriages. In money, doesn't it? I mean, this is where arguments come. You spent what on that purse? Well, you bought yourself a gun. Gun, that's, that's an investment, honey. You know? And next thing you know, we're arguing. We're fussing. Then we don't talk. And then that just starts the whole dominoes going down through the marriage. And the kids feel it. The kids' relationship is strained because they're hearing you talk. Isn't it sad that around many tables in our Christian homes that there's tension and argument all because there's no financial planning and margin in their lives? And the kids feel it. The kid says, Dad, can I get this? No, you can't get that. What are you thinking? You think money grows on trees around here? Well, Dad, if I don't get it, I'm the only kid on the block that doesn't get it. That's Get out of here. And the kid thinks, wow, I'll never talk to my dad again. And he probably won't either. Because of the tension that comes from not having a financial margin. Third one, you rob yourself of the joy of your success. You say, what are you talking about? Here it is. Some of you do so well at where you enjoy working. And you're good at it. And you don't get to enjoy it because it doesn't have the income that somebody else's job has. So you're always looking over there to Joneses, trying to keep up with them. And you, and you, and you miss the joy of your job. 
I was in California yesterday and Friday night with, uh, I have a set of twin girls out there. I went to see them and my grandson. And, uh, and one of my girls is, a, is in education. And she's good, really good. She was in a classroom for about nine years. And her last three years, Columbia University out of New York, supposedly the best teacher's college in America, came and did case studies in her classroom every year for their graduate students. That's how good she was. She loved teaching. She's a vice principal now. And we've talked to her more than one time, and I could realize she's losing the joy of the success she has as a teacher, how God made her, because she was always looking at her other sister, her twin, who's in pharmaceutical stuff and making a lot more money and thinking, man, if I just had that money. And I'd say, I said, Sharon, no, you are so good. Enjoy that. You know, just the way God made you, dollars don't have anything to do with it. And some of you are great at what you're doing, but you don't enjoy the success that God's given you through your skills because of the dollar thing. You're always saying, well, if I made his, no, enjoy what you got. We'll talk about that contentment next week. All right, so you rob yourself. Here's the second one. Turn to book of Malachi, all right? Book of Malachi chapter 3, you rob God. And this was not the first time this has come up. I mean, this has been going on with Israel. They'd robbed God several times. They got out of their land. They went in captivity. They came back from captivity, and they're back in their land, and they're back to their old habits. And in Malachi chapter 3, there's a conversation going on between the nation of Israel and God, and they're discussing, and God says, you know what? I got a few things against you. And if you'll return back to what you should do, I'll return back, put my smile upon you. And they said, well, God, what is it that we have to return? And he said, well, a man robbed God. And they said, what do you mean, God? He said, yet you have. And then they asked, well, God, how have we robbed you? And they said, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. He says, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Now, this is an Old Testament thing. Principle is still the same. And that is this. The second person you rob is God, and you have to make a commitment to God. And that commitment to God is giving. So we're talking about two things. You have to commit to saving and giving. You say, that is crazy. <laughs> I can't even make my bills now. And you want me to those two things? Yes, because they're going to activate something. He says, there's a curse upon you, Israel, because you've robbed me. But then in verse 10, he says, if you bring the whole tithes into the storehouse, so there may be food in my house. He said, see if I don't pour out. He said, test me. Just try me. This is not a message that you hear on TV that God's going to do this if you do that. No, it's a principle. It's a principle that God will start to activate a smile when we obey him and trust him. That's the issue. And honor him. Why? He says, so that my house may have food. What's he talking about? Well, that his storehouse would have food for the priest, the Levite, those who served in the ministry, for the national celebrations where they'd come together three times a year to worship, and that there would be food for the poor. He said, so bring it in. And if you'll do that, I'll bless your crops. Not, you're still going to have a lot of problems with your crops. Some of you, until you activate these two things, savings, put yourself, commitment to yourself, and a commitment to God, to give to him before everything else, I promise you, probably nothing's going to change. More income will not change your situation. You and your commitment to God, understanding that I've got to learn to be at peace with God, follow his principle, those two things will start to change your life. All right? Trust me on that one. A commitment. 
which then will lead to contentment, which we'll talk about next week. You say, Dennis, I'm not sure. Can I prove it to you? Can I have some people share with you who know that? I'm going to ask two of our couples to come. They've all been through Financial Peace University. And they're going to share with you what they've learned through doing these two things, a commitment to themselves and a commitment to God. This is Michelle and Brian Dunn. This is Chris and Lori Gardner. And uh, they're going to share with you everything I've been talking about because they've actually lived it out over the last months and years. So, Michelle, we'll let you start it off. Thank you. 
Did you hear the links in there? Pay off your debt. Get your margin. More time for each other. More time for your kids. You start to do life as God wanted to. The next thing you know, you start to do more ministry. And then that margin, you have money to give away to others who need it. Margins. God wants us to live with margins. And we won't do it until you make commitments. A commitment to yourself that today I'm going to start. If I don't know how to do it, I'm going to put something on the card there, you know, and I'll get somebody in our FPU family, which we have a number of people, will be glad to privately sit down and say, let's work on your plan. And start making a commitment to my margins and my finances. Second, make a commitment to God, that God, I'm going to give. I don't understand it, and this is not a, a plea to get more money for our church. That's not it at all. If you don't want to give your money here, give it somewhere else. I don't care. God takes care of everything here. But I want your soul and your trust that God is worthy to be trust, and he's worthy to put my faith in to follow his principles. That's what we want activated in your life. So you love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, to love your neighbor as yourself, and to go and make disciples because you're free to do that. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand the freedom we have when there's margins in our life, when we're following your word, we're loving you, we're loving people, we're loving our families, the friends you give us, and we're sharing the gospel. May we keep that focused in our lives. In Christ's name I pray, amen.